Welcome to the return of the Primal Endurance Podcast. This is your host, Brad Kearns, and we are going on a journey to a kinder, gentler, smarter, more fun, more effective way to train for ambitious endurance goals. Visit primalendurance.fit to join the community and enroll in our free video course. Hey man, how's your sexual function? Oh, uncomfortable talking about it? Look, we talk about our injured knees, our belly fat, so it's time to get focused on function. I want to tell you about Gaines Wave. This is a cutting-edge protocol where a handheld device sends low-intensity shock waves into your penile blood vessels to stimulate a healing response and promote increased blood circulation and the growth of new blood vessels. A skilled practitioner puts the Gaines Wave magic wand onto your magic wand, and after a series of 6 to 12 very brief treatments, which are painless but extremely effective, you get real results. Gaines Wave reports an 80% success rate. Now, we know that popping pills is a popular penile protocol, but when you're working with clogged pipes, you just get a temporary Band-Aid effect when you take prescription drugs. Gaines Wave addresses the cause of age-related decline by stimulating growth factors and activating dormant stem cells. Translation, stronger, harder, more sustainable erections. I learned about Gainsway from my podcast guest, Dr. Judson Brandeis at the Brandeis MD Clinic in Northern California, and there's a robust network of Gainswave providers that you can find on their website near you. Complete a series of treatments, and the beneficial effects will last for a long time, especially if you eat and exercise well to promote overall vascular health. It's a tune-up for your equipment, and while it's great for ED, Gaines Wave is for any man that wants to combat the effects of aging and get a little boost for your A-game. So please visit GainesWave.com slash Brad. That's G-A-I-N-S-W-A-V-E dot com slash B-R-A-D to find a practitioner in your area, and you can take advantage of my special promotion, buy six treatments, and get one free. You have nothing to lose and lots to gain from gainswave.com slash Brad. Hello, listeners. It's time for another Q&A show. Oh, thank you so much for writing in these very thoughtful and interesting questions, comments, success stories, lengthy presentations of what your training and health and fitness status is like. So uh, we accept and enjoy and appreciate hearing from all of you in every way. Even constructive feedback of any kind is great. Always nice to hear the accolades too. Um, if you send me a super long presentation, I'm going to skim through it really fast and uh, try to keep an eye on uh, the relevance and the benefits for everyone. So with that said, here goes Joe's lengthy presentation with some interesting questions too. And we kick off right into it. Uh, the, Joe's 50 did his first marathon a long time ago. I've done marathon, Ironmans, ultras every year since. 30 years as a vegetarian. Sorry to hear that. Has trouble in the heat in long races. Um, I read about your, uh, your, your keto uh, information and I decided to reintroduce meat uh, in 22. Uh, hopefully you've had some good success with that. I also started fasting, cutting out breakfast, and I would eat uh, from noon till 10 p.m. So right there, I'm going to add some color commentary where someone who's doing marathons, Ironmans, ultras, 
and then decides to introduce fasting into the regimen, I'm going to uh, second guess that right out of the gate. Because if you're performing at that level and doing those extreme endurance events, um, you might have trouble getting enough protein to recover if you are limiting your intake to uh, a specific time window. And the great commentary from uh, Dr. Don Lehman, who's been on a couple shows, uh, Peter Atia had a great show with him, notably. Um, he's a respected researcher in the in the protein field. Uh, he contends that uh, two of the best times to ingest protein are first thing in the morning after a long period of fasting, because if you don't, you possibly will go into a little bit of gluconeogenesis that's stripping down uh, lean muscle tissue to make glucose in the morning uh, if you don't. Uh, consume protein. So uh, you want to, if you're engaging in gluconeogenesis, what you want is uh, uh, sufficient amino acids in the bloodstream rather than having to break down lean muscle tissue. So morning protein is key. And Dr. Lehman also said that evening protein is key because it sets you up for a nice evening of recovery. So uh, morning and evening uh, precludes one from having these highly lauded compressed eating windows in the name of health and autophagy and all those wonderful benefits. So um, as you've known from listening to the show, I have uh, second guessed my uh, practice of fasting uh, for the last uh, almost two years now. Uh, inspired by Jay Feldman, Tommy Wood, and others, uh, I go out of my way to have a nutritious breakfast featuring my whey protein super fuel plus creatine smoothie with a whole bunch of other ingredients and a big bowl of fresh fruit. Sometimes I'll make up the eggs and the fresh sourdough bread from the farmer's market, the highest quality, and have a huge breakfast. Uh, at, but at the very least, um, the protein smoothie is a centerpiece every single day in the name of trying to get more protein in. And I haven't been great about having that extra scoop in the evening, uh, but now that I'm recording this message, I think I'm going to uh, jump on that too. Remember, if you're a calorie counter or you're sweating out a goal like trying to drop excess body fat, that your protein consumption can basically be completely eliminated from the equation. You're just not going to um, uh, add body fat uh, by way of consuming protein calories. So when we're counting calories, protein should be completely in a separate category as we systematically blow up this calories in, calories out model that we've followed for so long, but is uh, highly oversimplified. Uh, I'm not discounting the thermogenic law of nature, uh, but I am talking about how protein is allocated for uh, different use in the body. And so let me get back to Joe's long message here. Um, I've slowed down. I've embraced the um, uh, the primal endurance approach or the mafetone approach of training at this uh, 180 minus your age below the fat max heart rate. And I've also uh, getting more of my calories from red meat, uh, starting to feel better, uh, including lowering high blood pressure. So whew, interesting. Here's someone who's been for 25 years hardcore into the ultra endurance training and still had high blood pressure. So that's uh, uh, a, a message or 
um, an anecdote in support of the idea that extreme endurance training is not necessarily healthy. Yes, indeed, it's a super impressive fitness accomplishment to do a marathon, Ironman, or ultra every single year, but it doesn't help you with necessarily help you with things like high blood pressure, thanks to for example, some other stress factors like uh, the excess training load, especially if you're not slowing down, like he mentions that he started that only recently doing the 180 minus your age math heart rate training. Uh, the vegetarian diet might be considered a success factor. I mean, a, a risk factor. Um, and same with blood sugar. Everything's looking better um, for the, the listener. Blood pressure down from 125 over 85 to 115 over 70. Blood sugar down to 91. Weight is down. I feel fantastic. I tell all my running buddies or anyone who will listen what a huge difference following this uh, these methods have made on my life. Even uh, chronic pain at a site of surgery, inflammation, these things are gone away. My nerve pain has gone away. I finally found a formula that works for me. Now, I see that you are, uh, Brad, I see that you are uh, now promoting um, your journey back to more additional intake of nutritious carbs, such as having fruit for breakfast. And now you've been an elite athlete, you've been focused on performance, and now I'm left uh, questioning my own uh, endurance goals as well as my goals for wellness longevity. Um, I've qualified for Western States. If you don't know what Western States is, listeners, that's the 100-mile run across the Sierra Mountain Range, uh, one of the most celebrated ultra-marathon runs in the world. I think the oldest 100-mile run in the world. And so Joe is training for this. Uh, did a 74-mile training run, went really well, and looking forward to uh, that big opportunity to um, hit the bucket list item of uh, doing Western States. I'm reluctant to change uh, things that are working for me, uh, but I am a little unsure about fueling during extreme endurance events. The past event, I survived on bacon and avocado at the aid stations. I literally didn't have enough saliva to chew the tortilla or the quesadilla. Oh man, people, that sounds, sounds rough out there. I also need to slow down a little more to avoid nausea during the heat of the day. Um, long story short, here's my final question. Um, are you recommending eating fruit and protein every day, no matter where you are in the training cycle and no matter what your goals are? Uh, thanks for the clarification. Yeah, let's put our training goals aside for a moment and try to establish a foundation of baseline health that we can then apply to our, in this case, extreme endurance training regimen. But however you're training, you got to nourish yourself properly and strive for what Jay Feldman calls maximum cellular energy status at all times. So the notion of mixing and matching uh, intermittent fasting and ketogenic eating with endurance training just doesn't hold water because that's too many stress factors. It's going to affect your performance, your recovery, and uh, you're meeting your, uh, your baseline protein needs to be healthy. I'm also curious about fueling a long-distance endurance event with bacon and avocado, which arguably could be difficult to digest. And I know there's a penchant in, especially in the extreme, the, the ultra endurance events where they have these wonderful smorgasbords presenting you with all kinds of interesting, delicious, indulgent foods. Uh, the century bike rides are famous for having uh, the pies at the halfway mark and ice cream and things like that. But remember when you're exercising, 
in an ultra marathon event or any type of endurance activity, it is not the best time to digest foods because the blood is diverted from your digestive system into your working extremities. Your body temperature is elevated. Due to that, you also are in a state of leaky gut while you are performing. That's right. Your intestines become permeable as a way to dissipate heat when body temperature elevates during exercise. And body temperature elevates even in uh, moderate temperatures. I'm not talking about 100-degree day where your digestive system is really messed up. So the idea here is to get highly fat adapted through nutritious eating habits and sensible training, especially working at or below your fat max heart rate, such that you don't need to inhale a ton of food during a long distance workout or performance, and especially consuming fat calories, realizing that there's plenty of fat on your body. Even if you're one of the leaders at 8% body fat and skinny and running for 100 miles, you have enough fat on your body to fuel a 100-mile event. You don't need any bacon or avocado. And it's pretty easy for the body to mobilize stored fat, triglycerides, into the bloodstream as fatty acids to burn. So the reason for consuming bacon and avocado during endurance training or racing is purely psychological. I'm not going to discount the importance of arriving to an aid station, seeing your loved ones, getting some cheers from the crowd, and having a delicious avocado to give you some pleasure while you are suffering for 16, 24, or 30 hours. But uh, metabolically, physiologically, that can only be a possible risk factor for digestive distress when you are throwing down bacon, avocado. Uh, on the Western States course where I used to live in Auburn, they would go and get um, In-N-Out Burger and drive 20 miles down the hill get the In-N-Out Burger and surprise the athlete with hamburger fries and a milkshake at the 63 mile mark. And it, it seems ridiculous to me in so many ways that the athletes are putting this stuff into their body while they're trying to perform. And it's, it, you know, it's a purely for a psychological boost. So ideally is you would get by on a minimum amount of calories and the calories that you are going to acquire during an extreme ultra endurance event are carbohydrates because remember you can only store so much glycogen in your body and even when you are exercising down in the uh, lower fat burning zone heart rates i just did this research for the new book i'm working on with mark sisson even when you're down at uh, uh, highly aerobic heart rates you're still burning about 50-50 aerobic, uh, aerobic carbohydrate metabolism and uh, fat metabolism. So you need to have a steady stream of uh, some form of carbohydrate, preferably the easiest to digest forms, uh, while you're performing to enable uh, healthy uh, fat burning. So the idea is just to spare glycogen uh, and dispense, dispense the carbs throughout the event. Uh, by consuming extra carbs because you're going to hit the wall if you don't consume anything uh, at some point. Even if you're highly trained, you're going to have a hard time going uh, 50 miles on no carbs. Although um, people have done it, we know it's possible to perform ultra endurance exercise without any onboard calories. Michael McKnight ran 100 miles 
in 18 hours, consuming, I believe, only water and amino acids. Amazing performance. But this is a highly adapted elite runner. For most of us out there, we're going to need um, the easy to digest carbohydrates. That's why the, uh, the product categories of energy drinks and gels and things like that, energy bars were invented. But you got to find something and experiment with it in training, uh, whether it's dried fruit or whether it's a engineered product. Um, and to get that in your body and be able to digest it as you go for hours and hours and hours. So I'm going to um, second guess the avocado and bacon diet during an ultra marathon run and uh, think about training sensibly so that you're a really good fat burner and you just uh, assist the process during your race with um, occasional ingestion or regular ingestion of small amounts of carbohydrates in the form of energy drink or um, something solid if you need it. Okay. Chris says, Hey, Brad, I feel like I know you, man. I've listened to every book you and Mark Sisson have on Audible. I've also listened to hundreds of other audio books. And I must say you are one of the best narrators out there. Why? Thank you, Chris. Chris and his wife started intermittent fasting and keto uh, a, a while back in February Chris weighing at 220, wife at 128. Two months later, Chris, 193, a loss of 27 pounds, and the wife losing 10 pounds. We're forever indebted to you and Mark for educating us and gifting us a new way of life. I'm excited to be following you and Mark on Instagram. We're grateful for the work. At 42 years old, my wife and I have a whole new outlook on life and living our lives going forward. Even our three kids love all the food that we make from scratch. Thank you very much. P.S. I also loved your uh, your cookbook, Keto Cooking for Cool Dudes. And if you haven't bought Keto Cooking for Cool Dudes and Carnivore Cooking for Cool Dudes, check those out on Amazon. They're hilarious and also packed with great recipes. Um, you'll see what we're talking about when you look at the cover on your favorite online bookstore. So anyway, it's nice to see a success story uh, from the couple implementing these wonderful tools like ketogenic eating and intermittent fasting. And I want to uh, make the point to congratulate them and, and uh, emphasize this because you've heard me talk uh, for a lot on the show about how I'm uh, rethinking my use of those restrictive dietary strategies because I don't need to lose excess body fat and I want to be highly focused on performing and recovering. So it really matters what your current uh, metabolic and overall health is right now. And if you are into the category of over fat or energy toxicity, then we have a huge problem as seen in the vast majority of modern citizens on the planet, which is uh, storing too many calories and not burning enough calories. So that is the first intervention is to determine whether um, you're in this uh, in this in this category, and the best way to determine that is looking at um, belly fat, especially if you're over 40 or 45 years old. The accumulation of visceral fat around the abdomen is the single uh, most visible and uh, item of most concern to uh, support or compromise your uh, path to aging gracefully and longevity. So visceral fat is vastly more dangerous and more health destructive 
than carrying excess subcutaneous fat in all the problem areas around the body, wherever you happen to store it. But we want to absolutely uh, fight this battle against the accumulation of belly fat, more so for men than females, because males are more likely to store visceral fat than females. Why? Because females are more likely to store subcutaneous fat and their genetic and hormonal profile is um, it, it, causing them to uh, store a higher percentage of body fat in general, obviously. Uh, but uh, visceral fat is also dangerous for females. So we want to um, calculate that waist to height ratio, and we want our waist circumference to be less than half of height. So if I am uh, 5'10 and a half, that is... Um, 70 and a half inches. That means I want my waist to be um, uh, 35 inches or less. And if you are over fat, by the definition of having a waist circumference that's um, more than uh, half your height, that is the immediate problem to correct. And intermittent fasting, ketogenic eating, any type of dietary strategy that gives you sufficient protein to meet your daily health and biological needs, because if you don't get enough calories, you're going to slow down and uh, engage all these compensatory mechanisms that are not healthy. But what we want to do is create a natural caloric deficit by eating uh, the most nutritious foods and uh, eliminating the processed foods that are the true culprits uh, in uh, driving that accumulation of visceral fat. And then because visceral fat is associated with um, chronic uh, overproduction of stress hormones. We want to manage all these other stress factors in life that contribute to, for example, choosing processed foods because you are uh, energy deficient and having trouble concentrating in the afternoon, uh, getting enough sleep because that definitely uh, dysregulates appetite and satiety hormones and clean up your act in every way possible to try to get that visceral fat off your body so that you can optimize hormone production, especially as you age and start producing less of the adaptive sex hormones anyway. So um, this weight loss accomplishment in two months by Chris and his wife um, has most likely led to improvement across the board on all their blood profiles simply by dropping excess body fat. So it really is by any means necessary. And fasting and keto are two of the best ways because they're uh, sustainable and, and keto is uh, highly satiating. And so you can handle it for in, um, in Chris's case, two months, uh, enjoying their eggs for breakfast and their steak for dinner and not starving and not feeling exhausted and kicking into all these compensatory mechanisms, which is a good sign that your diet is uh, ineffective and going to set you up for a rebound effect if you're consuming too few calories. Hey, ladies, you may have heard me talk about Gaines Wave treatment for improving male penile vascular health and sexual function. And maybe you thought, hey, what about my needs? Well, Gaines Wave has got you covered with a revolutionary new treatment protocol called Gaines Wave for her. As with the male Gainswave treatment, a skilled practitioner uses a handheld device to send low-intensity shock waves into your vaginal area to stimulate a healing response, promote increased blood circulation, and the growth of new blood vessels. After a series of 6 to 12 very brief treatments, which are painless but extremely effective, you get real results with Gainswave reporting an 80% success rate. Some benefits. 
you will revitalize your intimate relationships with heightened sensation and arousal and enhanced pleasure and satisfaction. Don't contemplate invasive procedures or uncomfortable medical treatments. Regain confidence and reclaim your sexuality with Gaines Wave for her. You visit the website, gainswave.com, G-A-I-N-S-W-A-V-E.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area. You complete a series of treatments, and the beneficial effects will last for a long time, especially if you eat and exercise well to promote overall vascular health. It's a tune-up for your equipment. So please visit gainswave.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area and take advantage of my special promo that you'll mention when you find your local practitioner. Buy six treatments and get one free. Okay, Scott Belandrew, who's written in a lot from down in Palm Springs, the fruit-eating machine, loving everything that's offered down there in the desert. Um, He wants to point out that um, the uh, it's important to uh, talk in big picture perspective about one's heart disease risk factors. Um, so if we talk about uh, LDL and statins being ineffective and LDL being not the best indicator of your heart disease risk factor, these are general statements not meant to be construed as medical advice. And there are also some occasions where, uh, especially in the athletic population, we need to do further investigation because you might have uh, uh, acceptable blood work but still be walking around with elevated disease risk factors. So Scott recommends the CAC score, the um, uh, coronary artery calcium scan. And this is a particular concern for long-time endurance athletes who have really stressed that heart muscle with repeated inflammation and scarring due to the strenuous workout patterns, especially when you're in that mode of chronic cardio or chronic overtraining where you've really pushed your body hard uh, pursuing these big challenges and that repeated scarring and inflammation of the heart muscle, just like when you overtrain your bicep or your hamstring can cause damage and the accumulation of plaque on the walls of the arteries, just like the sedentary person who smokes too much and eats a bunch of junk food, you get this calcification of your arteries and it's become a prominent uh, phenomenon amongst longtime endurance athletes. Um, So go get your calcium scan if you're in this high risk category. And I deem myself to be in the category because of my many years of extreme endurance training. Um, I went around town and tried to get a calcium scan and it was extremely hard to find uh, a resource to go and pay cash and get the test done because it's sort of outside of the mainstream medical thought process, especially for me. I had to beg uh, my doctor to order the test. I got denied by my insurance company because they said I wasn't a risk factor. Uh, population. And I said, I was, uh, they said, uh, F you go away. So I had to pay $300 cash and find a facility that would take me to come in and scan, uh, my cardiovascular system. And I got a favorable score. So that was really nice to know that my years of heavy training, uh, have not resulted in calcification of the arteries. Uh, but even many athletes who do have a higher calcium score, um, when the, when it's hardened, when it's calcified, it's less risky than the unstable arterial plaque that represents uh, elevated heart disease risk. So athletes who have uh, um, 
gotten up in the high calcium scan scores generally fare better than um, unfit folks who have that high score because um, of oxidation and inflammation in their cardiovascular system, driven by uh, adverse lifestyle practices, inactivity, eating a lot of processed foods. Um, so Scott says that he indeed had an elevated CAC score and some other risk factors shown with advanced cardiac testing. So he's on top of it and he wants to recommend that to everyone else to really uh, dig deep, especially if you're in the higher risk factor categories. And this is a guy who's super healthy, super fit, 61, six foot one, 175 pounds, 11% body fat. And yet I have these conditions that I talked about above and I'm certainly not alone. I'm glad to be proactive about it. But when he um, uh, remarks here, if he eats too many eggs, he will see an elevation of lipid levels that could be possibly increasing his risk factors because of his uh, unique position. So when I breezily talk about uh, my boy, Andrew, over at Power Project Podcast, eating 10 eggs a day, and isn't that uh, so much uh, good nutrition and good protein, uh, not for everyone. So Scott's um, uh, putting in a nice plug there to, um, you know, think reasonably about all the uh, information you're hit with these days and um, do some further personal testing to get yourself in the clear. Uh, Brian writes in, Hey, Brad, I'm a cyclist. I've been listening to your podcast for years. Uh, you've changed. I've changed my training based on your suggestions. Thank you very much. Uh, in a recent Q and A, you mentioned that adding, you can add five beats to your maximum aerobic heart rate uh, because you're so old, 58. <laughs> can you please elaborate? I know that uh, Maffetone's uh, adjustment factors that you can read on his blog articles at philmaffetone.com, he talks about being over 65 and being able to add 10 beats to your maximum aerobic heart rate. So what's going on here is uh, the 180 minus age formula devised by Phil Maffetone to be an accurate way to estimate your fat max heart rate. Of course, this can be determined in the laboratory, but saving getting a VO2 max test, uh, you can calculate it 180 minus age, but there are an assortment of adjustment factors to help further pinpoint your best training heart rate uh, for fat max. Um, there are subtractions. So if you've uh, had a lot of illness, injury, recovering from surgery, you're going to subtract 10. If you're taking prescription medication, you're going to subtract 10 because of the side effects of almost all prescription medication. Um, you're going to subtract five. If you've had some recent setbacks in training, you're going to use 180 minus your age if things are going okay. And you're going to add five if you've been really successful and training really well uh, over the past year or two. And then you're also, when you get a fit older athlete whose heart maximum heart rate has not declined at the expected rate uh, respected by the formula of 180 minus age, that's when you can consider adding five or even 10 beats. So I'm giving myself credit uh, at age 58 that my maximum heart rate is still pretty high. I've seen it over 180 beats per minute. And so therefore I have a little more uh, leeway and can, if I take uh, 180 minus 58, that's 122. I'm adding five to have my uh, fat max training heart rate at 127. Um, another article that was, uh, another adjustment factor that Maffetone discussed 
on one of his many appearances on the Endurance Planet podcast with Tawny Prezak Gibson. He said, um, uh, for people uh, training successfully that are over uh, 45 or over 50 years old, they can consider adding just uh, subtracting just two to three beats instead of five beats for every five-year chunk uh, as they climb over the uh, age 45 limit, right? So if you take 180 minus 45, that's a training heart rate, a math heart rate of 135. But then if you're 60, that's 15 years above 45, right? So there's five, three chunks of five. Um, so instead of subtracting another 15 beats, perhaps you'd only subtract another six beats. That would put you at 129 instead of 120 if you are a fit 60-year-old. So everyone's trying to find an excuse or rationalization to add five beats to their math heart rate. And it's also important to put in a plug here for the benefits of being conservative when you do aerobic training and not exceeding your fat max and also getting a lot of aerobic stimulation, a lot of aerobic benefits at heart rates well below fat max. And I want to reference my time when I was uh, competing on the pro circuit and really fit cardiovascularly, I would do a ton of exercise, 20, 30, 40 beats below my fat max heart rate. Uh, obviously I had the high capacity. I could run six minute miles at my fat max heart rate of 155 at the time. So when I was out there running eight and a half or nine minute miles for recovery, my heart rate was probably 110, 115, 40 beats below my fat max. Today, I'm running a 10 minute mile at my fat max. So if I were to go 40 beats below that, I would be having a leisurely walk down the street. Guess what? It's kind of ridiculous, but I'm still getting an excellent aerobic training stimulation, even when I'm walking. So the benefits of slowing down and being good to your body, especially when you're are, uh, performing a recovery style workout, are fantastic and shouldn't be discounted. So I'm strongly advocating that you slow down, take it easy. You don't have to always push right there at the limit at your fat max number and then hear the beeper alarm and then slow down or sometimes ignore it for a while because the hill is too steep uh, to be able to pedal uh, below fat max heart rate. I know that happens sometimes. And if you can get a bigger gear on your bike, that's nice too, or find a way to go slower up some of those steep hills or get an e-bike if you have to. I'm thinking about it, believe me. Anyway, training at or below or well below fat max is very beneficial. But when it comes to dialing in that calculation, um, sure, when you're over in those older age groups, you can uh, probably get away with adding back uh, a few more beats. Now, um, I just did get a, a VO2 max test at Dr. Judson Brandeis's fantastic anti-aging male uh, sexual wellness clinic former podcast guest and he put me through the uh, put me through the uh, the ordeal uh, breathing through the mask and pedaling that stationary bike till uh, absolute maximum exhaustion and um, um, it showed on my report that my fat max was 118 
holy crap, what are you talking about? I'm training at 125 thinking that's my fat max. So uh, perhaps I need to rethink that if I did get the accurate value identified in the laboratory. And again, for review, the maximum aerobic function heart rate, as Phil Maffetone calls it, or uh, a more simplified way to remember this when I say fat max, that is the point where you are burning the maximum number of fat calories per minute during exercise. So this is the point where maximum aerobic benefits occur with a minimum amount of anaerobic stimulation. So it's a very, very important heart rate value to respect at the vast majority of all your aerobic cardiovascular workouts. You wanna be at or below fat max because the metabolic effect of the workout changes dramatically when you start to drift above fat max. So we wanna get a fat burning workout with minimal stress hormones, minimal anaerobic stimulation, and that is the way to improve our aerobic conditioning base, and that is the launching point from which we launch uh, all uh, workouts of higher degree of difficulty when it is time to go hard. So that's my answer to yes, if you're old and uh, older and fit, you can consider adding back, but why? Why not just be uh, conservative and, and take it easy, especially if you're a competitive type <laughs> like myself, um, I might as well set the alarm for uh, five beats lower and slow down a little bit and make sure that I don't, um, you know, get into a, a, a chronic state of fatigue and stress hormone production from going a little tiny bit too fast at the vast majority of my workouts. And that's the pattern that we see um, many, many endurance athletes fall into, unfortunately. Okay, I'm going to wrap up the show, but I'm going to wrap up Brian's uh, letter here because he has a couple more finishing questions. So, Brad, regarding sprints, should most of my sprints be short enough in duration to keep my heart rate under my maximum aerobic heart rate? <gasps> should I incorporate sprints above my maximum aerobic heart rate? If so, when? What how, What frequency? Okay, so we get this... Uh, confusion often. I, I field so many questions. So I want to hit this point and be really clear that when I talk about sprinting, when I talk about brief, explosive, high intensity efforts as a fundamental element of an overall fitness program and the wonderful benefits you can get from incorporating sprinting, this has really F all to do with your heart rate monitor. It doesn't matter. You don't need to measure your heart rate when you're out there doing a sprint workout where you're performing for six or seven or 10 seconds or 20 seconds, recovering for a long time. There might be some benefits if you're really techie and you want to see how far your heart rate drops after a three-minute recovery period and track that and see if it's uh, not recovering sufficiently after your sixth rep. That can be valuable. But generally, I leave my heart rate monitor home when I go do a sprint workout because the whole main reason for monitoring heart rate is for the... Uh, intended benefits of an aerobic training session to take place. In other words, to control your intensity such that you stay below fat max for the duration of the workout. In sprinting, what we're going for is explosive, precise technique, and a consistent quality of effort with each rep. So you want to be just as powerful, just as explosive, uh, deliver a similar finishing time uh, throughout the set, and that will comprise an effective sprint workout. Um, heart rate basically irrelevant because the sprints are lasting so uh, for, for such short duration. Um, so uh, with the question being asked um, by Brian, should I incorporate sprints uh, under my maximum aerobic heart rate 
<laughs> above my maximum aerobic heart rate. Of course, when you sprint, you're asking your body for uh, 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 all out uh, maximum performance or near maximum. So your heart rate's going to uh, skyrocket. It might happen on a delay basis. If you're only sprinting for 10 seconds, you might see that heart rate climb while you're walking for recovery until it reaches a peak 30 seconds later. Again, doesn't matter. You're, you're giving your body uh, a brief explosive all out effort, working the anaerobic system and don't worry about heart rate. Okay. <laughs> so hopefully that stuff, we got a little technical on some of the answers. We got a little big picture. We're reading about some great success stories uh, from some of the listeners. So all in all, a fun show. Thanks for contributing. Love to know your thoughts too. Podcast at bradventures.com. Thank you. I want to tell you about wildhealth.com. They're an online provider of comprehensive precision medicine and health consultation services. They offer DNA analysis, custom lab panels, extensive medical intake form with family history and lifestyle preferences, and regular online visits with a board-certified precision medicine physician and a health coach whom you can message anytime through their convenient app. Wild Health evaluates your data to determine what you need for nutrition, exercise, sleep, and supplements, and you can experiment, consult, and retest to get everything dialed in. You'll get a cutting-edge epigenetic test of DNA methylation to calculate your all-important biological age and have fun lowering your age over time instead of following the mainstream path to accelerated aging. It's time to strive for awesome instead of just normal. Did you realize that only 6.8% of Americans are deemed metabolically healthy and only 2% are declared optimal? That's disgraceful, but you can turn things around quickly. Please visit wildhealth.com and you will see that this is the absolute gold standard of personalized medicine and it's available to you right now. Telemedicine available anywhere in the USA. Wild Health is generously extending BRAD podcast listeners 20% off the cost of membership. Just visit wildhealth.com slash Brad or use the code BRAD20 at checkout to get 20% off and start taking control of your health today at wildhealth.com slash Brad. I hope you enjoyed this episode and encourage you to check out the Primal Endurance Mastery Course at primalendurance.fit. This is the ultimate online educational experience where you can learn from the world's great coaches and trainers, diet, peak performance, and recovery experts, as well as lengthy one-on-one -on -one interviews from several of the greatest endurance athletes of all time, not published anywhere else. It's a major educational experience with hundreds of videos, but you can get free access to a mini course with an ebook summary of the Primal Endurance Approach and nine step-by-step -step videos on how to become a Primal Endurance Athlete. This mini-course will help you develop a strong basic understanding of this all-encompassing approach to endurance training that includes Primal-aligned eating to escape carbohydrate dependency and enhance fat metabolism, building an aerobic base with comfortably paced workouts, strategically introducing high-intensity strength and sprint workouts, emphasizing rest recovery and annual periodization, and finally cultivating an intuitive approach to training instead of the usual robotic approach of fixed weekly workout schedules. Just head over to primalendurance.fit and learn all about the course and how we can help you go faster and preserve your health while you're at it. 